Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As you listen, ask questions, and enjoy the show, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today's guest, I consider a daredevil with a cape. She's a entertainer, speaker, and a video producer. She has had her share of TV appearances on MTV Ridiculousness, True TV, America's Got Talent, and Marvel Black Panther. And guess what, guys? She did all of this while being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yes. You heard me correctly, schizophrenia. She grew up seeing monsters, hearing voices in the wall, and having an intense urge to hurt herself. She created videos documenting her schizophrenia as a way to cope, to let others know that they are not alone, and they can still live amazing lives. She has a comic book series called The Adventures of, available on Apple Book, and to top it off, She is the host of Inside Schizophrenia on Psych Central. Elevated Voices Podcast would like to give a hearty welcome to Rachel Star Withers. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. And I just want to say you are freaking amazing. What do people say or what are people's responses when they hear that you have done all of these amazing things, but you are diagnosed with schizophrenia? Uh, It's interesting because it depends on who that person is. On set, I don't tell anybody, you know, I'm actually, it's funny because I'm like, I I am professional. Um, So the few times when I like get to be on set, I'm not like telling everybody, hey, guess what? But those who know me personally, and obviously so much of our world is internet. A lot of times now, like even if I apply for a job, they Google you. So that's what comes up is schizophrenia. So yeah, it it can be a little bit, I guess uh, some people be taken back. Honestly, they'll they'll be like, oh, well, I, I guess you don't have it that bad. As if there's like multiple levels. It's like, well, I mean, no, yeah. no, I have schizophrenia. <laughs> I don't have just a little schizophrenia. It's, I have a lot, you know, I have all it's of there. it. It's there. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the yeah. baby amount, you know, yeah. Yeah. Some of the achievements that I named, that's not even half of what's on your portfolio. Um, that's just a small amount of things that you have accomplished over these years. Can you share a little bit more about other activities or accomplishments you have completed? Uh, well, I'm an entertainer and a performer. That's like the main thing I do when people say, what do you do? I'm an entertainer. My mom says, don't say that. It sounds like stripper. And I'm like, hey, if they think stripper when I say it, then that's a compliment. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, I'm like, hey, hey, they're like, if that's where their mind went looking at me, awesome. I'm all for it. But I usually, I create videos and I get to produce segments for TV shows. 
And that's what I love to do. And I've been doing that since I was a kid, very creative, um, coming up with characters and being able to kind of like bring those characters to life. Um, And I was just doing comedy, kind of fun stuff. And around early 20s, I thought, you know what? I have this whole other side to me, my schizophrenia I'm dealing with. And YouTube, um, showing my age here a little bit, YouTube was still a baby. All right. So at the time, I know right now you can like Google and find videos, tons of people blabbering about their lives, about anything you can imagine. Wasn't so popular back then. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start documenting my schizophrenia because I... I couldn't find anyone else like me. Um, it used to be when you, uh, I guess, asked Jeeves about schizophrenia, yeah. maybe. Um, it would be like either just, you know, medical, just definitions, or one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> you know, so it's either like cold facts or serial killers. And, you know, there was no in between. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to start making some videos of me just being real. and. Um, posting them. And that's what I did. And accidentally through doing that, I created one of the longest video documentations of someone with schizophrenia just recording. And during this time I had electroconvulsive therapy, then got brain damage. So I I ended up documenting all of this over the years. And if there's any psych students out there, I'm I'm sorry if you've had to watch me in your psych classes. Um, yes, my videos are used for um, training now, uh, different medical schools and stuff. I'm in a few different psychological textbooks. Wow. So again, if you're flipping through and you're like, why do I have to read about this girl? That's wow. why. <laughs> so that that's some of my kind of strange accomplishments. And again, it was by accident. It was just, hey, you know what? I'm going to start recording myself. And, you know, what goes on with hallucination? Although accidental, that still is an amazing accomplishment. Kudos to you. And that just shows you, you never know what comes out of being able to share your experiences with other people. So you started off with, you know, no one out there was like you to, hey, now, hey, I'm Rachel Withers and like, Google me, Google me, guys. So Rachel, when were you first diagnosed with schizophrenia? Around my early 20s. I say around because I knew something was very wrong with me. It had been for many years, but I decided to actually go to a doctor. But kind of like most people, I was was stupid. And I thought if I tell them everything, they're going to like lock me up in a white room right away. So I softballed it in there. I was like, I'm hallucinating a little you know, um, you know, just softballed it. And the guy was like, okay, well, you know, maybe you're borderline schizophrenia or something, you know, and I went downhill really bad the next year. And I went back to a different psychiatrist and I said, I just laid it all out on the table. I had it written out because I was afraid I'd get scared again. So, I mean, I had pages of, look, this is what's happening. And they were like, oh, wow. Yeah. No, you have, you have very much schizophrenia. At the time, um, there were still different classifications. So uh, they did testing and I was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Got it. And for listeners who do not know what paranoid schizophrenia is, Rachel, would you like to share that with them? Schizophrenia with just delusions and I guess hallucinations that maybe more so people are out to get you. Paranoid is like a really great kind of catchphrase word. Yes. So whenever you're watching movies, that's always like the number one thing that the bad guy has. Or yeah, the crazy person, they'll always be like, oh, they're a paranoid schizophrenic. And I'm like, <sighs> yeah, it makes you look bad. Like, really? 
I get annoyed because I watched something the other day that was like just made and they said it. And I'm like, no, they got rid of the classifications. You guys did not even do your homework. They did. <laughs> I know. I just got, I was so salty about it. For all of you who are listening, the DSM-4 has different types of categories for schizophrenia. When clinicians transition into DSM-5, they get rid of those classifications so they no longer exist. So just FYI, guys, um, those classifications, those types no longer exist, okay? So, Rachel, you talk a little bit about growing up, hearing voices, and seeing monsters. At what age do you remember when you had those experiences? Ever since I was little, honestly, like I don't, there was never like a big starting one. I just grew up seeing monsters. Um, the earliest I can remember are the faces in the trees. Uh, I grew up in the country, so lots of trees for my, my New Yorkers who might be listening that might be like, what is she talking about? Or my desert dwellers. And that was just constantly just surrounded by these faces and figures that would move in the trees around me. I mean, that's what I grew up seeing. I kind of thought everybody saw it. Um, and I was very religious. My whole family, my great grandmother, like started the church. It's a super religious family. And when you go to church, you hear about demons and angels and spiritual warfare. And I thought that's what it was. So I was hallucinating a lot as a kid. And people are always like, well, how come you didn't say anything? And I'm like, I, I just thought everyone did. Because if you go every Sunday and hear about angels and demons and Satan fighting around you, obviously you see it. Like it just made perfect, perfect sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't occur to me up until I was a teenager that, wait, other people don't see all this. And I think that's also a lot of people like worry, like, well, how come your parents didn't say anything or do anything? But when you have that religious aspect to your family, it's kind of hard to, to differentiate. What's what? Yeah. Yeah. If your kid comes telling you they're seeing angels, it's almost like, well, oh, well, good for you. Sweet. Oh, God's speaking yeah. to you. Demons, well, that's creepy, but okay. Got it. Yeah. So it's almost like a, a natural thing. And I see that. And I, I understand how you didn't speak up. And I understand why it would seem like, oh, this is just normal. And okay, well, I guess this is just a part of, of who I am in my life. So it's okay. Did someone tell you that it wasn't normal? Or did you have an episode where um, you then started to question, oh, if this is or isn't normal? In high school, I was um, hanging out with my friends and I mentioned it saying something about, you know, seeing monsters all the time. And one of my friends was like, what are you talking about? And that was like the moment that I realized, oh my God, not everyone sees, sees this. Like that was, it was just something about the way she said it. It was like just a light went off in my head. Oh, no one else sees these things. And I did not bring, <laughs> mention it again uh, for a few years because I was just so like, oh, wow, that was my first realization that there's something really wrong. And it unfortunately pushed me into not make, not saying anything else for a few years because I was like, I don't, you know, you're a teenager. Life's hard yeah. enough. You don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be the weird girl. Right. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah, I wasn't popular. So let's not, you know, let's not push myself further down Got the it. chain. Got it. As you started to, to grow into your adulthood, did your diagnoses in any way shape or interfere with your relationships that you had? I mean, that's a good question. Part of it, I think you also have to think about is just having schizophrenia in general shapes relationships. Post high school, 
and this sounds sad, but it's really not. Um, I haven't had any close friends. Um, it definitely said making friends has been very difficult for me. All the friends I have, I have gotten through like work, <laughs> which as you get older, I think that that becomes your life True. anyway is working. True. So that's, those have been uh, my contacts. My main support system has been my family. I have amazing parents who've went on this journey with me. You know, like I said, we were very religious growing up and grew up in the country. So it's not even like it was a common thing to go to therapy or to go to a psychiatrist. So I think they got to learn a lot about, you know, the brain and, and honestly, you know, this whole side of things with me. And they took that journey with me and they've been amazing. I live at home which is always exciting to say at age 35, but they, they're my main support system because I can't live alone. Um, I get weird after two weeks. Okay. I always say that, that I'm good for like two weeks and then things I start to seclude myself off and go inside my, my head. And my dad's amazing because almost every day, every other day, he, if he hasn't seen me like around the house by one o'clock, he knows to come check on me and Hey, Rachel, come get out of bed. He's always making sure that I'm eating, kind of keeping tabs on me. And they've just been really incredible over the years, like learning about how to deal with this with me. Got it. I want to give a shout out to Rachel's mom and dad, guys, for raising an amazing, awesome, spectacular child. Well, she's not a child now, but when she was a child, thank you for raising an amazing child whom transformed into this beautiful, woman. So thank you guys so much for that. They're they're great. Them as people being willing to grow with me and learn more, which so few, I think parents, when you're looking at in life, you know, you hear horrible stories about kids getting kicked out and, you know, all different reasons. And then I have my parents who went out of their way to learn more about schizophrenia, you know, reading books on it, listening to podcasts on it, just to, um, you know, understand what was happening with me. Yeah. And I think that's important having a amazing support system because having a mental health illness is devastating for some people. And for some people, it's a stigma. And you don't just come out and say, hey, you know, I have this diagnosis because it's almost like it's contagious. You know, if I look at you, I'm going to get schizophrenia. If I cough, oh, I got schizophrenia or whatever the mental health illness may be. But having that support system really goes a long way in being able to not only support the individual who have the mental illness, but also the family as well. And a lot of people don't know that they have support out there. Rachel, I heard something and I, I want I didn't know if this was true or not. So I just want to bring this up. You at one point in time, and I don't know if this is many points, but at one point you had an encounter with an alligator. Can you tell me about that? Yes, I, I do crazy stunts. Um, I'm always someone that whenever I see something amazing, I'm like, how do they do that? I want to know because I, I don't like the idea that only a few people can do amazing things. I'm like, anybody can do something incredible. It's just few people try. And one of those things, um, a long time had been alligator wrestling. I just, the idea of it, I'm like, how do you do that? Um, so I went to Texas and there is an alligator rescue farm that um, went after and they saved nuisance gators and things. And they allowed me to shadow them and learn how to gator wrangle or wrestle. 
I was, I'm so proud of that skill. However, it has proven to be a worthless skill to have in life. Like I'm still waiting for the chance to bust it out, like to be walking somewhere and there be like a nuisance gator and like running after a little kid. And I'm like, it's okay, guys. I got this. I got this. I got this. Yeah. I'm able to just dive in there. And um, yeah, but it hasn't come up and um, maybe one day it's, you know, I'm just waiting for my chance to bust the skill out. And and when you do, hopefully I'm somewhere around because I, or you're, or you're filming and I get to see that awesome action save. I mean, someone better pull out a camera. Yeah. I mean, as much as people film things nowadays, if they, if there's a gator and I'm, I'm, even if I'm getting eaten, I want it on film. Sounds amazing. <laughs> They'll be like, whoa, uh, now she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, I love your, your lively spirit and the energy that you bring. Have you always had that level of energy and confidence? No. Oh, goodness. No. <laughs> um, you know, that just comes with, you know, age. You know, as we, we age, we kind of, we learn so much. And it's kind of funny. I, I do work in entertainment. And one thing I learned very early on, even when I was in high school, was so much of it is fake it till you make it. So I would kind of like make this overconfident character that I would end up using for different things. And over time, honestly, it, it became me, this very overconfidence. Okay, so let's say I'm nervous to go into this store. Let's say I'm nervous to do this thing. Okay, well, let me think, what if someone who is like really cocky, how would they go into the store? <laughs> and over time, I kind of became this person. And I, I say cocky, but not in like a bad way. Got it. Got it. But yeah, just being overly confident. Um, it's always weird to me. Like, I'll just be in Target. I can be in sweatpants, like in a hoodie. And people will come up and be like, I'm sorry, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, yeah, like, are these on sale? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, they'll ask me these weird questions. And I realize like, oh, they think I work here. And I'm like, I'm not dressed like I work here. I'm not in red. I, but it's just something that wherever I go, I guess it's the way I've learned over time to hold myself. People think I work there. I own the place. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just wandering through. But it is. It, it came from acting, though, just kind of this character that that's what I use when I'm in situations where I'm nervous, where I'm intimidated and things. And it's a coping mechanism. Got it. So did that confidence lead up to the amazing comic book that you got? Yes, I decided to do a comic book lesson for the kids out there. My mom was, um, Rachel, you really need to write a book. And I said, well, that would be helpful if I could read and write better because I have brain damage from the ECT. So I was being snotty and my mom shot back right away, then write a kid's book. And so I did. Um, so don't talk back to your mom. That, that's the point, kids, because they're going to make you do something and you're gonna feel bad. But uh, yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm obsessed with superheroes. Even now, if you're like, Rachel, what's your goal in life to be a Power Ranger? It has been since I was 10. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> One day. But I was like, yeah, I, I want to make a comic book. And the comics is me, Rachel, talking to a younger version of myself. And it starts with her learning how to deal with her schizophrenia, those monsters and stuff that I saw when I was little. It's, it's me talking to little Rachel. And then we go on adventures to find other kids like us and help them learn to deal with their own monsters. That's awesome and amazing. And for you, Rachel, to take 
something that happened to you early on in childhood and turn it into a kid's book in order to give them a sense of purpose and self so they won't be afraid and just let them know that it's okay if you are experiencing these sorts of things and this is what you do and this is how you handle experiencing your own mental illness. And not a lot of people can can transform their experiences into something that is positive and helpful. For me, when I look at different superheroes, especially the X-Men, you think of like the Hulk or somebody, a lot of times their superpower isn't always like a blessing. I mean, you know, Superman was legit. He got to fly. You know, that was cool. Um, Batman had lots of money. Let's no one's putting that down. But you look at some of the ones like the Hulk and he completely transforms. He has this uncontrollable thing that happens to him. He does not become hotter. He, yeah. he doesn't get to fly. He can jump. But, you know, it's not that great of a thing he is given, but he learns how to use it in a really great way. And I love the superheroes that are like that. The ones that you know, necessarily you wouldn't think, oh, that's that great of a power to be able to do something weird. But then they're able to turn it into something that they can help people. And that's my goal with the books is that kids who are struggling with something that makes them different, figuring out how to deal with that and then help people. And that's kind of the journey each of the kids go through with my book is first they figure out how to help themselves and then helping. How can I help others now with this thing that makes me different? Yeah, definitely. I know, Rachel, that you have mentioned you use various coping skills to help manage your schizophrenia. Is one of those coping skills medication? Yes. Um, One thing people always, I think, get confused when they hear me talk is that I'm against medication or I don't believe in it. I have been on every medication possible. (laughs) I'm like, I've been on them all. I can't stand when I have to go to like a new doctor and they're like, well, have you tried? And I'm like, probably you got to bust that chart out there. Cause I'm like, they, all their names go together. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have been on antipsychotics and antidepressants throughout the years. Um, currently on three different antidepressants. So, you know, yes, medication is part of it. Okay. The three that you're on now, are they effective? They are effective at keeping me, um, I'd say, a solid level point. Okay. I'm not great. It's not a magic pill. If there is a magic pill, I surprisingly haven't had that one. So yeah, because I I, I don't want to mislead people like, oh, you know, if you take this, if you take that, everything will be better. It is. It's kind of like playing Russian roulette where you have to try a lot of different ones and figure out what works for you. And they might work for you for only a time. And then they have to change up the dosage. They have to switch medications. So it's a piece of my support system that helps me function. It It isn't the only piece, but yes, it is a very important piece. Got it. And I'm glad that you mentioned it's not the only piece because sometimes us as Americans, us as individual people, period. We get so caught up with, oh, I can take a pill for that, or they have a pill for that, or I can take this and it's gone. And we look for instant gratification and we just want it to be gone. And as long as this pill is working, then sometimes that hinders us from using other skills to help when that pill stopped working. So thank you so much for mentioning that. I think that's very important for people to hear and also to understand. It can be frustrating if you are someone who is taking any medication because 
you know, it usually might take like a month for it to kick in. And you're like, hey, I'm trying this. It's not working. And, and it makes you feel even more broken. But you have to realize that there are stories of people out there who seem to just go into absolute remission with one medication. And that's great. I've never been that person. And just because a medication can't cure you right away doesn't mean that you're uncurable and you're broken. Just means you're going to have to, yeah, find multiple pieces of that support system. And I like the fact that you use the phrase support system because support system can be various things. It can be medication. It can be a friend. It can be family. It can be a therapist or mentor. It also can be a support animal. So definitely, I, I, I appreciate that. Are there any positive aspects of being diagnosed with schizophrenia? I always have to be careful because I am very, I guess, energetic. I have, I, I've gotten some kind of emails from different people saying you're glamorizing schizophrenia, you know, and I'm thinking, no, Dolly Parton is glamorous. Now, if I dress up like Dolly Parton and talk about schizophrenia, then maybe, but I do think for me, there are upsides to having schizophrenia. Um, I think it does help me be creative. It does help me come up with like characters. It helps me at times to be, you know, really outside of the box thinking wise. However, I don't know anything else. So I don't know what it's like to not have schizophrenia. People will say, well, if you could take, let's say, let's go back to that magic pill. If you could take a magic pill and all of your schizophrenia would go away, would you? At the moment, I'm, I feel like I'm dealing okay. Now, if that question was for my depression, yes. You know, my depression and the schizophrenia kind of play on each other. So the worse my depression gets, the worse my hallucinations get. The harder it is for me to think clearly. Kind of nuanced because these things are all connected. I've had people, you know, unfortunately, um, parents reach out to me and say, how dare you, you know, do this? My child committed suicide and they had schizophrenia, you know, their schizophrenia tore apart our family and upset that I would ever say that a mental illness could be good in any way. But my, my line of thinking is, okay, but as the person with the mental illness, that's a really depressing way of living is that, wow, I suck. So I feel like if you have, and this goes for any mental disorder or anything, really, you know, you're going to have to find what are the, like, the good things about it. One of the ones I push and I'm, hey, if you're listening right now and you got schizophrenia or any other serious mental disorders and you're in school, Oh my goodness, find the disabilities office. Once I found out that my college had a disabilities office, college got so much easier for me. It was just like a golden ticket. (laughs) Um, They were like, I had a letter from my doctor and they were like, okay, let's figure out how we can make school easier for you. And I was like, nice. (laughs) Um, And that sounds like kind of like, Rachel, you shouldn't take advantage of this. And I wasn't taking advantage of the system, but suddenly it was like, hey, life became a little easier for me. Um, so there are upsides to certain things. It's not all, oh goodness, you know, I got to finish college because they were able to work with me on my hours as opposed to dropping out because I couldn't handle the caseload anymore. You know, you got to look for the little, the little wins in life. Yeah. And every, every little win count. And the reason why I, I asked that is because a lot of people who struggle with it do have that negative mindset of I'm never going to be able to live a normal life. I'm never going to be accepted by people. I'm never, I'm never. And the stigma again, that people face when it comes to mental health, it's ridiculous. And now we see 
celebrities with mental health illnesses. So I can go and I can list a lot of different other people who have had some form of a mental health illness and no one looks down on them. But the more we talk about it, the more people become open to having a conversation, not comfortable because some people are still uncomfortable with mental illness because they look at it as, again, being contagious. So when you are interacting with someone or when you encounter someone who have a mental health phobia, how do you respond to that person? It's very few and far between that it happens in real life. Um, usually people with phobias or anger um, towards people that are different tend to live on the internet and tend to send emails and comments, which are easily blocked and ignored by me. But I have had a few instances in real life. Um, one of them was with a boss and he knew, he knew I had schizophrenia. He knew all of my issues, but he loved to make fun like that I was on drugs and would make like comments to the other employees and stuff, joking that, oh, Rachel's on drugs today. It, it annoyed me because as someone who's never used drugs and is, I'm like, I'm all about dare. Okay. I'm like that. I got the little dare lion, like all across my heart, you know? And I was just like, it annoyed me when he would do that. And I once had a woman who I went to church with and for many years when I was younger and she goes, oh, I, I found out, you know, through one of your internet videos that you had schizophrenia. And I'm like, oh yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, you used to be so close to God. Not really sure what that has to do with anything. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't had any situations of people just being outright scared of me in real life. Now, again, and one thing I always tell people, you know, I'm very open about my schizophrenia. Um, because I can be there. Do, there's a lot of stigma about it. I don't if I was, let's say, a preschool teacher, I would not be like this. I wouldn't be telling everyone because I do feel like my job would be at risk. If I worked, let's say, in corporate America and banking, you know, I can see that getting out and people being like, oh, well, I don't want her to do my taxes. I don't want the crazy yeah. person around my money. I don't I'm not going to trust the crazy person's investment ideas. So I am very lucky that I work in entertainment. So I do think it's more acceptable to be crazy. It's not like, yeah, as scary as if I had an office job or certain other jobs. I feel like I would be a lot more hesitant to be so open. Got it. And we use that word crazy in such loose terms, it drives me absolutely insane because you say crazy, but let's call it what it is. Let's give it a name because I think that when we start giving our mental health a different name, that's when people look at it as being a joke. Mm -hmm. Yes. So just let's call it what it is. Because I want to be able to get that name out there and I'm going to repeat that name so you know that this is real for me. I'm living this. This is something that, you know, I just don't go to sleep with this tomorrow or go to sleep with this tonight and then wake up being a different person. You know, this is a part of my life and allowing other people to know and realize that this is real. So you mentioned having depression as well as having schizophrenia. And you said that managing the depression is key to also managing the schizophrenia. What are some routines that you do to help yourself, body, mind, and soul stay balanced? 
That's a good question. I have many little, I guess, things. And I, I wish I could be real with you. Um, I mean, I said, wish I could be like, hey, I, I do great at always doing these things, but I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. But some of the things that I attempt to do every day, um, one of them is exercise, get out of the house. I have one of the most annoying little dogs in the world. So he helps with that. I'm actually remodeling at the moment because I became very, um, with quarantine and everything secluded in my room. So now I'm taking my computer out of my room so that at least forced me to walk outside my door more. And it sounds like a small thing, but once I like get up and start moving, that makes me feel better. Just kind of little things like that. Um, I also try and like, I don't want to say meditate or anything, but at the end of the day, like think about my day, think about everything that's gone on. Think about what do I want tomorrow to be like? What, what are my plans? And just kind of like calm my brain down. Got it. We talked about some upsides and we also talked about some downsides to your schizophrenia. How do you know when you are about to have a bad day? Because I've had this so long, I've been able to kind of figure out some different like triggers and like warnings that I have. I don't always catch them, but when I do, it's a good sign that, hey, my kind of emergency plan is to go home, get safe, you know, let someone know, hey, I'm not doing well. Uh, one of the things is that it becomes harder and harder for me to speak. And people around me will say, you're talking fast. I'll be talking almost like I hit walls where just everything kind of like drops out. I'll have no clue who I'm talking to or why or anything. Um, and it's just like a little, like a glitch. I call them like little glitches in thinking. Um, when those glitches start to happen, I'm probably going to be having a pretty bad episode within the hour. So once I notice those little things, once someone says to me, hey, you're talking really fast. I can't understand you. Can you slow down? That's a big sign to me that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm about to have an episode of some sort. So being aware of those triggers. And again, like you said, sometimes you catch them, but then other times you may not. And that's just a part of, you know, your life and being able to work with your diagnoses. So Rachel, is there any positive advice that you would like to share for someone who is listening that may be experiencing symptoms or may have been diagnosed with schizophrenia? you're not alone. That's always my main thing is you're not alone. I would make videos sometimes and I would just like, like, you know, I'm going to make a big video about this really random thing that happens to me. And I'll be feeling like I'm the only one in the world who has this random hallucination. And then I post it and all of these people message me, oh my gosh, I had the exact same thing. And it'll blow my mind because it'll be people that I have nothing in common with on the surface, you know, someone who could be living in a different country, who's grown up in a different, you know, lifestyle than mine. And they'll be like, oh, that exact same thing happens to me. Even with growing up as a kid, seeing the monsters and stuff, I also had this very intense desire ever since I was little to hurt myself. And I was actually giving a speech once and a man came up to me afterwards and he goes, you know, for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to kill myself. I've always wanted to kill myself. And I just thought I was broken. He thought as a kid, I, I just thought, I mean, who has a kid that wants to do that? And he goes, I just have always thought I was the only one in the world who felt that way until this moment. 
And I, and, and he's talking to me and I'm like, everything he's saying is the exact same thing. I'm thinking that like, I thought when I was nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, exactly. And I share that story in a video. And then all these other people message me, oh my gosh, Rachel, that's always happened to me. So we have things that happen to us and we think, oh, I'm so weird. I'm, I'm so unnormal. I'm broken. I'm not the norm. And then turns out like, it's really not that big a deal. It's stuff that tons of other people are dealing with the exact same thing you are because you're able to find other people like you and learn from them. Like the, it's so great. Cause I'll hear, have someone be like, Oh, when I have this hallucination, I do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh man, I've never thought about doing that. Oh, that's so smart. And now like my life's easier because I shared and they shared and I'm getting to learn how they deal with things. And I'm like stealing that for my support system. <laughs> and I'm like, sweet. So, you know, just know that you're not alone and there are other people going through the exact same thing that you are. Well, thank you, Rachel, so much for giving us your time, your energy. Guys, if you want to learn more about Rachel, you can reach her at Rachel Star Live across all social media or head over to her webpage, www.rachelstarlive.com. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us. I appreciate your time here on Elevated Voices. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices Podcast where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.